I'm Carolina Milanesi. I'm a tech analyst for Creative Strategies. Time is up as far as a company just pretending to do diversity and inclusion. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Thank you so much for, for speaking with me. Pleasure. I'm really excited to talk more specifically about diversity and inclusivity in tech, because obviously that's a huge driver behind this new podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a, a, a exciting conversation to have, especially given the time that we're in. Yeah. And I'm particularly looking forward to this conversation because when I started this podcast, it was with the hope to add to the growing trend of inclusivity and to broaden the conversation around technology to include the voices of those that sometimes feel underrepresented or overlooked, namely those of women. I know this is something that you've done a lot of work in and is really important to you. So actually, I wanted to start by, can you give me a brief rundown of your tech journey and explain how it is you ended up focusing so much on diversity and inclusivity. Sure. Um, I, I was thinking about what my daughter told me once that she asked me a question about what I did in life. And she said, so you are actually making devices and making tech happen. And I was like, no, I just talk about it. And, and I think as an analyst, and I've been an analyst for, gosh, over 20 years now, this is kind of what we do. We we work on the fringes of tech with all the the big brands that matter in tech, uh, and help um, you know brands, vendors, uh, and and customers understand what the tech trends are. Um, you know, help with go to market strategy with messaging. So we see a lot of what gets both in the enterprise market and the consumer market, and we help make sense of it depending which audience we're talking to. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, in, you know, in an area where uh, women are a little bit more welcome, uh, and especially over the past few years, you know, having uh, a female point of view has become uh, much more important than it used to be. My next question for you is one that I've been asking all of my guests because I think it's an important one. What is an example of a time in which being a woman empowered you? Wow. (laughs) We are easing into the conversation with the questions I see. (laughs) Um, It's really hard because um, despite what I just said about, you know, being lucky to be in an area that is more welcoming to women. I am still in a very male-dominated market. Uh, And I think the time I felt empowered was when I was able to give back to a team I was managing that was predominantly women trying to give back what I was fortunate to have when I was younger. Um, And, uh, you know, being a woman in that position versus having to depend on a man, that made me feel empowered. Because in my career, I was lucky, especially at the beginning uh, during my career at at Gardner, to have a very, very supportive um, 
men um, that were my managers or um, people I work with in my team. But I didn't really have, I had one awesome female manager. But other than that, you know, I, I was mostly surrounded by, by men. And so as a manager, as a, as a female manager, being able to empower younger uh, women to see the opportunity in, you know, the analyst work was, uh, was special. And, and I was, uh, you know, very fortunate to have that. This transitions nicely into my next question, because you were talking about being in a more manager-like role. But now you're the founder of the heart of tech. So you are the founder of a company. What can you tell me about your company and some of its goals? Yeah, I I started the heart attack because of a passion that I had for diversity and inclusion, but also for education. Um, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I wanted her to be able to look at tech and see opportunity for herself. Uh, not just kind of look around and see mostly men in, you know, CEO uh, and senior positions and not being able to see herself. Uh, my uh, my husband is African-American and uh, that, you know, kind of doubled the the interest in, in learning more about diversity and inclusion. It's something that I always been passionate about and not just because I'm a woman, but also, you know, I'm Italian. I, although, you know, I have a great advantage of uh, walking into the room and, and being white. I I have an accent. Um, I am a woman. So, you know, that kind of feeling of being the odd one at the table uh, is always been there. So I decided to fund, found the, the, uh, the heart attack to really help uh, both from a from a business perspective, but also as a as a pro bono perspective, uh, companies that want to really thrive on diversity and inclusion. So not the you know I want to do good marketing and tick the box, but really looking at diversity and inclusion, both from a business perspective and a product perspective, at something that is a business imperative and is something that will make your brand stand out. You mentioned um, companies kind of ticking the box on marketing when it comes to diversity. And right now, topics like diversity are particularly front of mind. And so as a result, at least I feel like company after company is coming out with statements about how much they value diversity and how much they're against discrimination. And while that's like certainly a nice gesture, it's not enough, I think, as most people would agree. So what do you think companies can do, particularly tech companies, to increase diversity in a meaningful way? And how can they actually make concrete changes that go beyond just these statements of support? Yeah, I I did a series for Forbes where I interviewed um, the chief diversity and inclusion leaders at top tech companies like Microsoft, Dell, Facebook, uh, Lenovo, uh, Qualcomm. So I kind of went, you know, into the, the the big names that you would think of. And it was fascinating to me um, how much um, the, the approach that companies have is very linked to who they are as a brand and obviously the values that they have. So you, um, you see 
a lot of the company and who the company wants to be uh, reflected in the techniques and and the focus um, in diversity and inclusion. I do think that, um, you know, time is up as far as a company just pretending to do diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think that we are in a world where the power that social media has given to employees uh, of, of any company, but specifically tech, to speak up uh, and um, just express their disappointment or um, you know anger, frustration, and whatnot for the lack of diversity and inclusion within a company that they're working with or, um, you know, mistreatment or, you know, any kind of social stand that the company might take or not take um, has really put more pressure on brands to really not just talk the talk, but really walk the walk, right? You start to see more and more companies that really are focusing on diversity and inclusion as a business imperative. And so it, it is not like this project on the side um, that, you know, a few people are dedicating on, but is really uh, built in from the bottom up. Um, uh, and I think that when it is from the bottom up is, in my opinion, more effective than the top down, because at the end of the day, when it comes to everyday inclusion, is my immediate manager that is going to make a difference. It's not necessarily the CEO, right? And I think that, um, you know, over the past few years, you've had more companies uh, publishing a diversity and inclusion report. And that helps. But to your question about what should they do to really make an impact is, first of all, I think we all need to realize that this is, you know, you're not going to solve diversity and inclusion overnight, right? And and so what we need to see is meaningful progress. And, you know, if we have what is systematic racism on one side, we should have systematic processes and progress on the other side, right? And I think that the there are different numbers that, that companies should focus on, um, you know, hiring and, you know, so many times I'm sure you heard as much as I have uh, the pipeline problem when it comes to people of color and women and, uh, and then issue that not just people of color, but women, but women of color then face. And so intersectionality plays a huge role in, in diversity and inclusion. And I think that spending more time on, okay, we're going to hire, that's one step. But then once we hire people, we need to make sure that inclusion happens and that, you know, we create an inclusive workplace so that people stay and the people stay and have the opportunity to grow and get into the role so that it's not just, okay, we are great from an inclusion perspective at a lower rank um, jobs, but then as you get into the C-suite, you know, is becoming more male and more white. I have heard people say to me that the reason women aren't CEOs or women aren't engineers is because they don't want to be. And <laughs> exactly. So I wanted to talk a little bit about where you think our lack of diversity in the tech field really comes from. Where does, I guess, 
a tech company have to start addressing it? Are they only responsible for hiring women and people of color at the time that those people apply for the job? Or are we responsible for going into elementary schools and targeting people of color and women and saying, you know, do this and maybe one day you can work at my company if you want? Where does that responsibility lie? Yeah, I, I think a lot of companies are doing that uh, in terms of, you know, supporting STEM programs uh, and, and singling out and focusing on people of color and, and women. I went to um, a Lego First robotic competition with, with my daughter a couple of years ago, and I had no problem in finding girls. I had no problem in finding girls of color participating in that competition. And it was just one competition, right? If you're looking at Black Girls Who Code, uh, there are plenty of girls who are interested, who want to do this. But what was fascinating to me was, okay, so, you know, K to 12, girls are interested, girls of color are interested. What happens then between, you know, high school, college and work. And I think what you started to see is the more, the closer you get to college, the more you start to think about where is it that I'm going to be able to make a career out of what I'm studying, right? That's what most people do. And so that's when you start to look at areas. And so when you're looking at what's available out there and where you can see people that look like you, is not necessarily tech. And, and I think that that's what it is, is, you know, and even within tech is not necessarily the, the higher paid jobs, right? And so is how do you make that opportunity more ready available? And, you know, even if you think that you can be the first one, the level of extra work that not just to be recognized and getting there, but the level of extra stress and strain and, 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 uh, you know, uh, weight that you carry to be in an environment that doesn't welcome you is absurd. And, and how long can you do that for, right? Uh, before you start to self doubt, you, you know, you start to deal with what are the, the, realities of it, which is, you know, to work in tech, in a lot of cases, you are on inexpensive areas, right? And where you need to get paid more in order to be able to live. So there are so many pieces of the puzzle that need to be put together. But at a minimum, yeah, uh, you know, companies cannot just look at, okay, we are gonna just look at the people that hire us. And, and so just look at where you go look for people. Start there. You know, start to, yes, empowering the pipeline, but then think about how you hire and and look at changing the way you hire from, you know, the recruiters that you're using, from not incentivizing um, internal referral when 95% of, you know, the people that work in your companies are white, um, not incentivizing people coming from, you know, expensive colleges and, and institution, not necessarily requiring 
uh, a degree for jobs that you can actually hire without a degree and then supplement that education. And, you know, reskilling and upskilling is, is another big topic at the moment. Um, Microsoft has made a big announcement last, last week, Cisco uh, last month. And so, you know, how do you work within your company to make sure that you have offer more opportunity to, to your own employees? I think all of those pieces kind of need to work together. It's not just doing one thing is going to take care of the problem. Okay, so slightly different question, but uh, you called Ivanka Trump's participation in this year's (laughs) CES a token woman appearance. I was at CES and I was shocked to hear that she was speaking and I I did my best to to make it there because I really wanted to to hear the keynote speech. But as everyone knows, those shows are chaotic and you get lost like 10 times and you have meetings all day. (laughs) Uh, so what did you mean by a token woman appearance and, you know, how can tech shows avoid something like that in the future? Yeah, that was an interesting way for me to, to kind of debut my column on on Forbes because um, I got a lot of attention, not all welcome, <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. Um so the, the kind of a token woman appearance is something that if you're a woman in tech, you know all very well. Um, you know, there's a panel at a conference. Well, we need a woman. And, you know, the sad thing of this is that people of color don't even get that, right? So as much as a, as a woman, I feel like, God, yeah, I'm, they're just asking me because I'm a woman. Um, a person of color doesn't even get that. Right, they don't even get asked. They think that if they have five men and a woman, they're diverse, and that's yeah, we're winning. Um, so that is, you know, is something that has been going on for a long time. And as a woman, I kind of, you know, you you kind of think about it, and it's like, okay, I don't want to be a token woman. I don't want to be on stage just because I have ovaries. But at the same time. If I don't take it, then they're not going to, well, if they're lucky, they might get another woman, right? But it might not happen. And so we miss an opportunity. And so I start thinking about it that way. And and I turn that into, okay, my mission is that, yes, I'm the token woman. I'm going to show you why I bring value. So next time you ask me because of what I can do and say, not because I have ovaries. With Ivanka Trump, I didn't have a problem with Trump. And obviously, the the whole thing became political when it wasn't. It could have been Chelsea Clinton, for all I care. It doesn't really matter. The, the point was, there are so many women in tech that could have gone and talked about what the topic was, was put out to be, which was about technology and and work that I didn't think she was the best choice. Now, it turned out that what they ended up talking about was policy. And so in her role of advisor, that made it a little bit more okay, I guess, more fitting. But the 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 point that the underlying point is that it shouldn't just be any woman. It's the woman that actually fits the 
you know, best from a topic perspective that can bring knowledge, experience in whatever, you know, either because they're researching, because they're being a CEO, because they're an engineer, whatever the case might be. And it certainly wasn't that, you know, as some, you know, because this is the other problem when you're a woman is, you know, I had a ton of people saying, well, you know, they were not going to ask you. And I was like, I that's not the point. It's not, you know, it's funny how, you know, when you're critical from a woman perspective, the idea of you're just being catty comes out. And I wasn't being catty at all. It's just like, there are so many smart women, CEOs and not that uh, could have had that, that position, but also linked to that goes back the, to the conversation we were just having about, you know, women and empowering more people. That is, why does it have to be a CEO? You know, why these mega conferences always want titles, you know, that go with it? Because unfortunately, you don't have many female CEOs or CIOs or CTOs or whatever the case might be. And the same for people of color. So why not rethink about, you know, who we invite to do keynote so that we are more inclusive? Okay, so for my last question, I'm going to shift gears here pretty significantly to something more that I cover in my news cycle, which is, you know, while doing research on your career, it became clear that you have an extensive background in mobile devices. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to kind of pick your brain about any device trends that you're kind of watching or you think might emerge, especially as we are continuing to turn on 5G around the world. Yeah, I think... Kind of the hot topics are definitely, um, you know, 5G, foldable displays um, and glasses, right? These are kind of the three big things that everybody's talking about. I'm interested in, in figuring out as well the role that wearables play within kind of the ecosystem of products that we will surround us with. And so anything from, you know, if you're thinking about earbuds, glasses and watches kind of to all rings all together um, and dividing those devices in devices that either um, uh, kind of collect data and then use that data to provide you either with a service or an experience uh, and then devices that help you actually um, assimilate and digest that data. So, you know, things with screens or things that you can talk to. Um, I, I think that to me is the biggest kind of exciting part of what's to come and how this portfolio devices that we're going to be reliant on more is going to change the focus away from or take the focus away from smartphones. I think it's going to take a long time. Um, I don't think the smartphones are going to go anywhere, you know, over the past five years. But um, in that period, I think that uh, part of what we do with devices is going to change. And that balance of information that is collected and used even before I have to inquire about something. So if you're thinking about, you know, AI and machine learning and how much of what we used to have to input in a device now is done because of what the device knows about us. 
to me, that is what is extremely fascinating. Um, and um, I'm really curious about how brands are going to tackle it because I think, you know, the more you get into that mix of the values, not just coming from one device, but also if a device needs to learn about me, it means that the value I get and how I get it is going to be very different from how you get it. And so, it, you know, that really is a more personalized computing experience that I'm really excited about. Okay. I feel like I thoroughly picked your brain and asked <laughs> you a number of questions. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about this. I, I think it's an important conversation to keep having and to have over and over again. And I, I feel like you really, you know, helped help me understand some of the things that tech specifically has to tackle when it comes to diversity. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Sorry, my cat is about to throw up. I hear him. I don't know what he's... <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> yeah. The fur balls? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.